It's the uh, 24th of October today. And uh, for the Te Show tonight, I'm going to look at a, a Pali Sutta, a short one. It's known as the Bamboo Acrobat, the Siddhaka Sutta. And it comes from the Samyutta Nikaya. And the translation that we, we're using is by Andrew Olinsky. And this is from the um, Insight um, website, access to insight.org website. And um, just read the whole thing, it's quite short. <coughs> The Buddha addressed the assembly. Once upon a time, monks, a bamboo acrobat, setting himself upon his bamboo pole, <coughs> addressed his assistant, uh, Meda Katalika. Come you, my dear Meda Katalika, and climbing up the bamboo pole, stand upon my shoulders. Okay, master, the assistant, Meda Kalika. Katalika replied to the bamboo acrobat, and climbing up the bamboo pole, she stood on the master's shoulders. So then the bamboo acrobat <coughs> said this to his assistant, Maida Katalika, You look after me, my dear Maida Katalika, and I'll look after you. Thus, with us looking after one another, guarding one another, we'll show off our craft, receive some payment, and safely climb down the bamboo pole. This being said, the assistant, Meda Katalika, said to this, this to the bamboo acrobat, <clears throat> that will not do at all, master. You look after yourself, master, and I will look after myself. Thus, with each of us looking after ourselves, guarding ourselves, we'll show off our craft, receive some payment, and safely climb down from the bamboo pole. That's the right way to do it. And the Buddha then commented on the story. Just like the assistant Meda Katalika said to her master, I will look after myself, so should you monks practice the establishment of mindfulness. You should also practice the establishment of mindfulness by saying, I will look after others. Looking after oneself, one looks after others. Looking after others, one looks after oneself. And how does one look after others by looking after oneself? By practicing mindfulness, by developing it, by doing it a lot. And how does one look after oneself? By looking after others? By patience, by non-harming, by loving kindness, by caring for others. Thus, looking after oneself, one looks after others. And looking after others, one looks after oneself. That's the, and that's the sutra. So it's a very powerful image, I think, this, um, this story. Um, some of you may have seen um, uh, acrobatics, uh, high, high wire work or um, 
people balancing on the top of very um, long ropes, poles. And it takes, it takes enormous discipline to do this, enormous, a great deal of training. So you can imagine this, this master acrobat balancing himself at the top of his bamboo pole. So he's up there at the top and then he invites his assistant to climb up and, and stand on his shoulders. The uh, translator of this sutra in the, writes a note and he says, what a vivid image of insight meditation. The practice of mindfulness requires the focused attention and an acrobat, a balancing on a bamboo pole. One lapse, one moment of distraction or carelessness, and he tumbles to the ground. The picture is one of intensive inner awareness and concentration, almost a matter of life and death. Well, actually, for the, for the acrobats, it is a matter of life and death. And so this correction that um, the assistant makes is, seems quite reasonable. First of all, the master says, I'll look after you, you look after me, and we'll be fine, we'll do our show, and then we'll, we'll earn some money and we'll be able to come down safely. But she says, no, no, that won't do. You look after yourself, master, and I will look after myself. Thus, each of us looking after ourselves, guarding ourselves, will show off our craft, receive some payment, and safely climb down from the bamboo pole. And actually, this makes sense because she's um, standing on his shoulders and so entirely relies on um, her master keeping his balance. So she's saying, no, you just look after yourself. You stay balanced, and I'll look after myself. I'll stay balanced. Uh, so we're pre 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 prevented, presented with these two different um, ways of, of seeing the situation. And at first it seems like the Buddha is, is saying, the assistant, Maida Katalika, has got it right. But then he says um, the opposite as well. So he, he's bringing... He's uh, bringing these two together and presenting them as both being necessary. That, that practicing mindfulness, we, we look after our, our, um, our own mental balance. First, that's the, the, the first part. But at the same time, uh, we also look after others, and we'll see um, a little bit later what these these different things that he mentions that are involved in looking after each other, um, others. But first, let's just have a, a look, a little bit of a look at, at mindfulness. Probably the most most common way we understand mindfulness is as uh, bare attention. Paying attention, becoming familiar with um, one's own mind and its workings. But actually, if you look back to the original um, word sati, it also has this, this connotation of recollection. So it includes a sense of remembering. Uh, 
so not forgetting the teachings, you could say here, bearing them in mind, bearing the truth in mind, staying connected with the truth. And the, and the Buddha, in his, in his description of, of this, he talks about practicing mindfulness, developing it, and doing it a lot. Um, in another translation, um, a sense of a progression comes out more clearly. The translator says, pursuit, development, and cultivation. And so we can include, in this, especially in this last one, we can include um, cultivating mindfulness to the point of realization, moving in the direction of awakening. And really, it's, he's talking here about, about mastering our minds, uh, for, for mindfulness to become like our second, second nature. When we, when we touch a, a hot element on a stove, our, our hand just withdraws automatically prior to our even thinking about it um, and really to develop mindfulness would be to have uh, have mental reflexes that um, were completely um, supporting of um, our our life and the life of others protecting us from from the poisons you could say and from self-partiality in all its forms. So to be completely uh, free of positing an other that we want to have um, control of or manipulate or, or acquire. So really we, we, can, we can list the three poisons, greed, hatred, delusive thinking, but then they break down into all the different, um, all the different vices you can think of: jealousy, envy, resentment, uh, hatred, blame, vindictiveness. The list goes on and on. But to be mentally aware of all these things that might arise, and then to be able to recognize the impulses being. Um, wholesome or unwholesome, and then, and then to not act it on it, and so this is this is um, already in protecting our, our own mind and taking care of our own mind. It's already also protecting the people we interact with because it um, guards us against. Again, acting on unwholesome thoughts. Another way in which, in which mindfulness uh, simultaneously takes care of ourselves and takes care of others is just in the, in the way in which very strong feelings are contagious. Um, if we're if we're full of 
of of a great say um, aversion or fear often the person we're talking to will pick up on that and the same thing will come up in them aggression or defensiveness or um, certainly unease and and um, so if we are somewhat have somewhat master, some mastery of our minds then um, we won't be eliciting those those um, uh, unhelpful emotions in others really the degree the degree to, to which we've we've um, mastered our own minds will be able to um, disarm others as well many many years ago when I was studying nonviolent communication NVC um, I listened to a, um, a recording of, of uh, Marshall Rosenberg who was the founder of it talking about a trip that he made to Palestine and um, on the way to the on to the way to the place where he was meeting with with this group um, there were the um, casings from bombs that had been um, fired into this area um, shells of some kind uh, with made in the USA stamped on them and um, when he arrived at this meeting he was not seen as a, somebody coming to do a workshop on NVC he was seen as an American and and probably also as a Jew and so he was he was faced with with an absolute cascade of of deep anger and um, as he tells it he just kept on listening and listening and reflecting back what he, he was being told and this went on for several hours but because of his ability to to stay open and and truly listen uh, without defensiveness by the end of this session um, he had made friends and everything had changed in the relationship Then the Buddha goes on after after this part about um, you could say developing our own inner melt um, inner balance. He goes on to say, how does one look after oneself by looking after others? He says, by patience, by non-harming, by loving kindness, by caring.
for others. Thus, looking after oneself, one looks after others, and looking after others, one looks after oneself. So these four, patience, non-harming, loving-kindness and caring. Each of these, we could say each of these uh, depends on, on our qualities that we, we develop in our hearts and minds. Uh, with patience, there needs to be there needs to be some freedom from fear to really to really be patient to really have forbearance when wronged or when threatened there also has to be some degree of 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 understanding around um, not non-blame. Really realizing that our that uh, whatever wrong is 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 perpetrated against us, whatever injury to to our body or to our psyche, there is this this aspect of ourselves which is untouched. Non-harming, this term, uh, really includes all of the all of the precepts in it. Or they're all really based on on this principle of non-harm. But again, to to really practice this, um, there has to be in us a sense of of benevolence um, in our hearts, a sense of of cherishing life and recognizing all life as being um, in kinship, wanting the same things fundamentally. It doesn't mean though avoiding confrontation now, people who work non-violently they're really um, uh, in, a, in a sense confrontation is what it's all about but finding a way to confront um, injustice or, um, unjust organizations in a way that that is at the same time uh, as being non-violent, it's, it's often confrontational. This is a little, this is a little bit from a, um, a BPF um, uh, letter, newsletter. And it's a, it's a series of, of suggested um, kind of st strategies for working as, a, as an engaged Buddhist. And uh, one of them is headed, let's embrace compassionate confrontation. She says, 
um, as our friends over at Waging Nonviolence say, for us to wage nonviolence is to embrace conflict. So we try to embrace, embrace such conflicts in constructive ways. We can have compassion for the wage-thieving restaurant bo boss, even as we picket her storefront so hard that she nearly goes bankrupt before finally coughing up the back wages she owes. Without getting wrapped up in too many stories about good and evil, we can still push back hard against the Monsantos and the Southwestern energy companies of the world. As Zen master and pioneer of applied Buddhism, Thich Nhat Hanh puts it in his version of the second precept, I will respect the property of others, but I will prevent others from profiting from human suffering or the suffering of other species on earth. Being compassionate yet unyielding with those who oppose us has an added bonus too. It can help us to respond with firm kindness to the mistakes that we ourselves will inevitably make as we strive to bring about peace and justice. I think this is a very important point, this, this close relationship that exists between our attitude towards others and um, the own way that we, we um, communicate uh, with ourselves, the way we talk to ourselves. It really takes training um, to be able to um, relate to our enemies, the people that we um, that really rub us up the wrong way, the people that we feel are, are, are doing wrong often. The last two things that the, um, the Buddha mentions here are uh, loving kindness and caring for others. We could really see these as, the, as um, an attitude of the heart and loving kindness and, and then backing that up with actions. So caring, caring for others in the sense of ac action. Um, Skillful means is another way it's understood. Caring, caring is one thing, but then to um, to train ourselves in skill that where we can put that care actually into practice. One commentator on this um, sutta summed up. Um, one side of the equation by saying, if we leave unresolved the actual and potential sources of social evil within ourselves, our external activity will be either futile or markedly incomplete. Therefore, if we have, uh, are moved by a spirit of social responsibility, we must not shirk the hard task of moral and spiritual self-development. Uh, so that's coming coming at it from the side of, of our moral and spiritual development. The other side of it is that our inner balance is affected is also affected by our actions in the world. In other words, 
that that how we respond to things also um, shapes our mind and um, affects our, our inner balance. Um, there's the story of the Buddha at his great awakening when um, right before his awakening he was Mara came and visited him and and questioned his worthiness and the story goes that that the Buddha um, reached down and touched the earth and then the earth spoke um, some versions it's it's a it's the goddesses of the earth in the version that we we recount in, in at the Buddha's enlightenment ceremony it's all the beings of the earth themselves and um, they cry out he's worthy there's not one spot on this globe where he has not offered himself totally selflessly through countless endless lifetimes for the welfare of living beings and the point here is that these actions and all these past lives of his are seen as being a part and parcel of his great awakening in that they were they were his um, the process through which he uh, completely dropped the self away it couldn't have been that final dropping away of the self in the, in his final uh, birth if there hadn't been uh, all these times he had had done so in previous lives and these these um, many of the stories of these past lives are collected in um, the Jataka tales um, these are um, where he's referred to as the, the Bodhisattva or the Bodhisattva in, in the Pali and they describe his, 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 all his, his um, um, altruistic actions One of these tales um, is particularly um, moving and uh, it's actually not found in the Pali versions of the Jataka tales but it's one that's added in later in the Sanskrit versions which um, is called the, the Jataka Mala, the string of, of Jatakas by Aryasura and it's really um, one that brings out the, the Mahayana spirit And it goes, it goes like this, that once upon a time the Buddha was, was out in, this in, in the forest, the, former, the, the future Buddha, his name is Mahasattva in this story, and um, he's out walking in the jungle and it's a time of, of um, great drought and at a certain point he comes across tigress and her cubs and this this tigress is is um, down at the bottom of a, uh, a cliff and so the so Mahasattva is looking down on her and he sees that she's she's extremely emaciated and thin and uh, near the point of death um, and that that 
that she is is eyeing her her, her cubs with um, a look of of great hunger, and so the Mahasattva uh, throws himself down the cliff so that she can eat him. One of the things that, that, that this story illustrates is, is our responsibilities to non-human beings, even dangerous predators. At the time when this story was, was um, told, of course, um, the, being eaten by a tiger would have been a real a thing that happened to people. Um, now, of course, tigers are threatened themselves with extinction. But to, to give oneself to a predator like this would have, would have elicited horror in the people hearing the story. But it, it illustrates the, the, the depths of, uh, non, of selflessness that um, are possible for us. And it's also um, important to understand that the Buddha wasn't just wanting to save or the former Buddha, future Buddha, wasn't just wanting to save those cubs. There was also, probably the bigger concern for him was the, the, uh, the suffering that would have um, befallen the mother who ate her cubs. It was so much going against um, nature to, for a mother to devour her, her children. And so he was, he was saving her from that fate. So he's had this, this, um, this broad view, this long view. When we hear the story, it doesn't mean we should go out and <laughs> throw ourselves off a cliff to some um, hungry animal. Rafe Martin, who, who um, has told many of these tales and written commentaries on them, he says, he says it's not that we literally um, need or should offer our bodies to a tiger. From a Buddhist point of view, such sacri sacrifice would occur spontaneously at the right time. It is not the result of an anguished and lonely process of ethical examination and reflection, culminating in a final stealing of oneself to the decision. Rather, it springs lightly out of the depths of one's being from a sense of connection, freedom, and joy. In our world, there are many actions which can alleviate suffering and so express the underlying spirit of this jataka in a variety of ways. And he then lists some of the things, some of the different ways that we can, that we can um, express the, the spirit of this. But the point here is that whatever 
whatever decisions we make about how we respond um, need to come out of uh, a place of joy, a place of connection, a sense of, of freedom. Another, another aspect of this, um, our understanding, the one that's emphasized here is, is seeing how um, these, these um, ways of engaging with people through harmlessness, patience, loving kindness, caring for others, uh, depend on uh, a state of mind. But it's also important to recognize the way in which our, our states of mind are shaped by um, social systems and the structures we live in, not only our own but others. And it, it's, I, it's, I think it's fair to say that um, danger we face as as Buddhist practitioners is is just focusing on on individual roots of greed and, and hatred and ignorance and not paying so much attention to um, how these poisons come out in our social institutions um, a writer on this uh, giving a a bit of a, a critique of, of Buddhists in action. He says, um, the problem is that while we are struggling on an individual basis towards selflessness and compassion, vast systems of economic and political power are working to undermine the process. The astute political commentator H.L. Mencken once observed, the whole aim of practical politics is to keep the public alarmed and hence clamorous to be led to safety by menacing it with an endless series of hobgoblins, all of them imaginary. I think we've seen quite a bit of that lately in, um, in politics, especially in the United States, but also in the rise of, of um, far-right parties in other places as well. In the, this writer, David Edwards, comments, fear and loathing pacify the population, promoting mindless patriotism and obedience. They help justify repressive policies that curtail democratic freedoms and boost centralized power. But here's the really bad news. Because the corporate system is the quintessence of greed, with corporate bosses legally obliged to maximize profits for shareholders, discussions of the significance 
power and potential of compassion, kindness and generosity are virtually absent. This, this fact that, um, that um, companies are actually obliged to maximise profits for shareholders to, at the cost of everything else is, is, is really, um, if, if, we, if these companies were individuals, we would think that they were um, sort of psychopathic, as somebody pointed out in a book on, on um, companies. He goes on, as retailing agent analyst Victor Lebau explains, our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life and we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, that we seek spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. You can't have people recognizing the piercing pain of desire, the tight agony of pride, the blissful release of generosity and compassion, when you need everyone greedily consuming ever more pleasures, ever more status, ever more things. I think we can see here the way in which um, mindfulness is subversive. In that it, it, it cuts through these, um, these sort of religious adherence to consumption that is what is considered to be what's needed to drive our, our prosperity. But underneath, of course, is the, is the um, using up of the world's resources. It just can't go on in the, in the way it is going at the moment. When society subordinates its humanity to maximize revenues at minimum cost, then that society is well on the way to becoming lost, falsified, and in fact inhuman. If we are serious about combating selfishness and, and promoting compassion in the world, then is it not vital that we develop tools of intellectual self-defense to deal with these assaults on our minds and hearts? The solution must lie in reversing the priorities of subordinating dead things, money, capital, profits, to life, people, animals, the planet. So this is another thing which we can maybe um, lose sight of um, in our practice. We just think that um, we just have to put our heads down and and um, do zazen. But actually, we also need to develop this critical mind as as a way of really seeing through the the indoctrination that is um, present in our institutions, the poison the poisons of greed, anger and, and delusion that are there in the structures around, around us, which affect us and affect others.
So we can, can we, we can going back to our um, bamboo acrobat. Um, some of some of us may may look at at um, all the all the troubles, urgent troubles in the world, and think um, think, oh, how on earth can I sit when Rome is burning? How can I possibly put that time into sitting when there's so much need for a response to to suffering, and there's the clock ticking on climate change? Then on the other side, there may be people who think, um, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, so I might as well just uh, look after myself, look after my own uh, spiritual well-being, get calm, get focused. But actually both of these are uh, incomplete. In, uh, I think it's from Tibetan Buddhism, they talk about, about um, wisdom and compassion being the two wings of the bird. The bird can't fly without having both. We can't truly look after ourselves without looking after others. We can't truly look after others without looking after ourselves. We, we really have to see beyond the personal. Master Dogen talked about, about developing a sense of, of um, magnanimous mind, Daishin. And also parental mind, the mind that cares for others. And then the third kind of mind that he, he put forward as being necessary for us to cultivate was joyful mind. The joy that comes out of really looking after ourselves, taking responsibility for our own mental balance, and then acting from that place of balance, that place of strength and imperturbability. That we can we can cultivate through training, we can develop it, cultivate it, realize it. We need, we need awake activists and we need skillful contemplatives. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. <laughs>